Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. Matthew uh, chapter 9. If you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, grab a smartphone, uh, find a Bible app, and uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 9 together. We're going to be focusing our attention this morning on the last four verses of Matthew 9, uh, verse 35 through verse 38. I think, um, I think most people in the building this morning, most people here this morning would agree that the Bible is very clear. God wants us to tell others about His Son, Jesus. God wants us to tell others about His Son, Jesus. But, but sharing the gospel one-on-one, on one on one, for, for me personally, has been a particularly challenging experience. Um, it's not because I don't love uh, uh, the, the Lord uh, more than anything. Uh, Jesus is, is Lord of my life. I, I worship Him. I serve Him with all of my heart. And it's not because I don't want to see other people changed. Uh, just like I've been changed by the goodness and grace of God. God's got hold of my heart and transformed me. And, and, and I want to see that in others. Um, I think one of the reasons why I struggle perhaps to, to share the gospel one-on-one is it's because of, of my personality. I, I call myself a, 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 an introvert masquerading as an extrovert. Uh, that, that's how I like to define myself. I, I'm much more comfortable in the, in the shadows. I'm much, much more comfortable kind of blending in. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an introvert. You know, I'm one. I'm not saying it's ungodly. But, but being an introvert, if, if left unchecked, if, if, if given free reign introversion can very easily manifest itself as the fear of man, which, which doesn't help as we trusting to share the gospel. But as I've been thinking this week, I think the, the biggest reason why I struggle uh, to share the gospel one-on-one with others is because of the scars that I carry from, from past mistakes. There have been times in my walk with the Lord where I've been incredibly overzealous in an unhelpful way and really unthoughtful in, in the way that I've brought the Word of God to, you know, to other people. I got saved rather radically when I was 19 years old as a sophomore in college back in South Africa. And soon after I got saved, I got, I got caught up in, a, in some very unhelpful teaching about end times that was sweeping the church at the time. And it caused me to, to preach a very harsh gospel to other people. You know, turn, turn to Jesus or you will burn in hell literally was, was the word I would, I would teach to anyone who'd listen. And I'd even say that to people who, who weren't prepared to listen, like my dad, unfortunately. And, and all I succeeded in doing with my father was, was pushing him away from the gospel for about 20 years until, by God's grace, he, was, he, he, he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior about three years before he passed away. So on the one hand, there's, this, there's, there's mistakes of, of being incredibly overzealous and really un, unhelpful. And, and as uh, uh, mature friends around me began to make me aware of, of my unhelpful zeal, like most of us do, I allowed the pendulum to swing from this extreme to, to the opposite, but perhaps equally unhelpful extreme, which is shying away from telling others about Jesus altogether. I mean, I could stand here and, and list story after story where I felt the Holy Spirit present me a, a, an opportunity to, to share the love of Jesus with others, but I, but I shied away for fear of being, being judged or for fear of offending people. Fortunately, by, by God's grace, as I've, as I've grown in Him and as I've matured in Christ, I, I think I've found 
some sort of middle ground between those two extremes. But if I'm completely honest with you, I'm still not seeing the fruit that I so long for and pray for. The fruit of seeing people coming to know Jesus almost on a daily basis. That's what I pray for. I pray, I pray daily that people would come to know the Lord. And, I, and if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not seeing that, that fruit. Just a, a, a brief but humorous story to kind of illustrate this. About seven or eight years ago, um, one Thanksgiving Thursday morning, really early, I had gotten up early to go and, and pray specifically about Lord, would you, would you stir my heart to be able to, to share the gospel with others? And I found my way walking through Lincoln Park Zoo early one, early th- one Thanksgiving morning. And I was praying, Lord, fill me with love for people. Fill me with the gospel so that I can, I can teach the gospel to others. And, and my heart was being stirred and, and I felt the presence of God upon me. And as I was sensing God's presence, I, I, I looked across the way. I was by the lion enclosure in Lincoln Park Zoo. And there was another guy over there. And I thought, great, this is an opportunity for me to go and preach the gospel. So I kind of intentionally walked past him. And we kind of exchanged a, a glance and a smile. And we, we started conversing sharing pleasantries initially, I wasn't really paying attention to what he was saying because, man, God was answering my prayer. I had prayed and and I was excited and I was looking for that open door and I was so oblivious to what he was actually doing. He starts asking me questions about about where I live and whether I like to go to bars or not. And, And then he says to me, do you mind if I tell you something? You're really cute. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Here I am trying to share the gospel and this guy's hitting on me. I mean, I, 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 I walk away thinking, Lord, what kind of a Christian am I? I'm an absolute failure at, at sharing the gospel. So I, I've shared some kind of crazy, kind of extreme stories, you know, the, 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 the lack of thought and the, and the, and, and the zeal, the, the overzealousness, and then to this extreme, the the fear of man and the struggle and the doubt and the, and, 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 yeah, just, just, just the fear of, of being rejected and then in the middle ground, really struggling to, to, to see fruit in this, in this area. But Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, do the work of an evangelist. And I've got to say, that, that, that charge that Paul gives Timothy and by, by definition Scripture gives to us I find an incredibly overwhelming and, and, and challenging charge to do the work of, of an evangelist. Uh, maybe you're here today and you can identify, maybe not with the specific stories I've shared, but, but with something of, of, of those struggles. I'm sure every one of you here love Jesus just as much, if not more than I do. Desire to, to want to see people's hearts changed. You want to, you want to obey what Matthew 28 says, to, to go and make disciples of, of, of all nations. But, but maybe you've struggled with past uh, thoughtlessness in the way you've shared the gospel. Or, or maybe you're struggling right now with the fear of man and in what is becoming very quickly a, a godless nation, a nation that is very anti-Jesus. Or, or, or perhaps you're not seeing the fruit that you would love to see. And one, one example that I didn't mention, perhaps you see preaching the gospel as a task or an obligation or, a, or a, some sort of Christian responsibility that we have to do. I, I, I pray, my prayer is that what I, how I've been encouraged through preparing this message today would be an encouragement to you. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're visiting for the first time. Or perhaps you've been coming for a few weeks and you, you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus. And, and, and maybe you're here and maybe you've been on the receiving end 
of a friend or, a, or an overzealous stranger's kind of lack of thoughtfulness as they've brought the gospel. I want to say I was in your shoes a couple weeks ago. I was having my car repaired and, and, and the, the job was taking a little bit longer. So I found myself waiting in a car shop kind of waiting room. And a gentleman walked into the, walked into the room eating a bag of, of chips and sat next to me and offered me some of his chips. And when I declined, looked at me and he said, he said, brother, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And before I was able to say thank you, you know, Jesus loves you too, he, he went off, and I kid you not, for 10 minutes without giving me the opportunity to, to respond to him, he went off, and he, this is how he expressed God's love. God hates sin, and if you are a sinner, you are living outside of God's will, and if you don't repent, you're going to end up in hell. And I sat there, and I was like, I was so grieved because it made me realize what so many uh, uh, non-believers in Jesus often have to face. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, my prayer for you, my trust for you today in this message is that you would be able to look past our mistakes and see the goodness and grace and love that hopefully will come through in the gospel uh, this morning. Paul says again to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 1, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, which simply means don't be ashamed uh, of telling others what God has done in your life. And friends, that's what sharing the gospel is. Courtney shared a a, a scripture this morning at our prayer meeting about, uh, about simply going and telling others what God has done in our hearts. That's what sharing the gospel is. We, 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 we tell others that, about the fact that God has saved us and, and rescued us and redeemed us, how he's set us free, how we have found joy and purpose and meaning and value and dignity, uh, uh, how we outwork the salvation that we have. We, we don't just share about what God's done but, uh, in our own hearts, but how we outwork the salvation in a community of love and grace and trust and honor and respect, preferring one another, honoring one another, making room for one another, giving value and dignity to one another. That's what the gospel, gospel sharing is. It's, it's telling others what it looks like when Jesus is king. That's this task that we have, to, to tell others what it looks like when Jesus is king. But, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we share Jesus but make sure we get out of the way? How do we, how, how do we overcome the mistakes of the past? How do, we, how do we deal with the fear of man? How do we make sure that, the gospel, that gospel sharing is not just an obligation but a privilege and an opportunity for us to actually do something? Well, I think Matthew 9, 35 to 38, the text that I've asked you to turn to, I think there's some wonderful answers in there. So let's read the text together. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, every disease and sickness. Bless you. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
We're teaching through the book of Matthew at the moment, the first 13 chapters in this series that we've entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom. And the way we've decided to approach the book of Matthew is like some commentators have suggested Matthew was used in the early church as a foundations manual for new believers. And if that is the case, I think, I think it's intriguing how Matthew pieces together the, this particular gospel. It's not a linear progression of all that Jesus did, but he's dealing with particular themes. Matthew 1 through 4 deals with Jesus' early life. Matthew 5 through 7 deals with the Sermon on the Mount. And we come to the section today, Matthew 8 through 9. Matthew is showing us what it looks like when the kingdom of God has arms and legs. What it looks like when the kingdom of God has some action to it. There is something that is going on. And Jesus is giving us this incredible example of what we are to do in the context of advancing God's kingdom. Verse 35, look at verse 35. Verse 35 is a summary of chapters 8 and 9. Verse 35 is a summary of chapters 8 and 9. Now, I'm going to take five minutes just to run us through some of the highlights of Matthew 8 and 9. I'm not going to pause to do teaching on it because in the summer, we're actually doing a five-part series on signs, wonders, and miracles. And at that point, we'll dig into some of the realities of what it looks like. But as we read through these highlights, I want you please to notice two things. Number one, Jesus heals, period. Jesus heals. We need to, and I include myself in this, every one of us here needs to make sure that theology shapes our experience Not our experience shaping theology. What I simply mean by that, if you don't know what the word theology means, we must make sure that God's word shapes our experience, not our experiencing, not our experience shaping how we interpret God's word. You read the Gospels, you read Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus heals. And the second thing I want you to notice is this there are no formulas. There are no formulas, there are no recipes. It's not the same old, same old. No, it's picking up on God's heart. So with that in mind, just follow with me. There'll be a couple of slides on the screen behind me that'll just take you through this. And and if you want, jot these notes down and, and do a further study of it in the course of this week. Let's run through it fairly quickly. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. We're told of this leprous man who, who, who comes to Jesus and, and he trusts in Jesus' willingness to heal. Jesus' willingness to heal. If you are willing, he asks Jesus, to which Jesus says, yes, I am. Matthew 8, 5 through 13, we, we are told of the account of the centurion who comes to Jesus, and he trusts in Jesus' authority to heal. He says to Jesus, just say the word. We'll come to that in a few moments. Matthew 8, 14 through 17, word gets around that Jesus is in town and that he is healing everyone who is diseased. So they bring the sick. They are trusting in Jesus' reputation to heal. And I love what it says in that section of scripture, Jesus healed them all. Jesus healed them all. In verse 18 through 22, Matthew kind of steps aside a little and talks about the cost of following Jesus. But he carries on with the signs and wonders in, in, in verse 23 through verse 34. Jesus overcomes the demonic, a demonic storm, and he drives out a, a legion of demons just with a simple command. He says to the storm, be still. And he says to the demons, he says, go. 
the authority, the power of Jesus. In, in chapter 9, 1 through 8, Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Why? Because of the faith of his friends. Isn't that, fascin- isn't that fascinating? Jesus says, it says there, he says, Jesus saw their faith, the faith of their friends. And he said, stand up, pick up your mat, you are healed. In verse 18 through 20, sorry, in verse 9 through 17, again, Matthew steps aside a little and he talks about prayer and fasting as a reflection of the cry of our heart for intimacy with Jesus. Can I say this, friends? We will never operate in the supernatural outside of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Prayer, fasting, worship, reading God's word, staying in God's presence are essential for us to operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. Matthew 9, 18 through 26, Jesus heals the woman with the issue of bleeding, not because of her friend's faith, but because of her faith. He says to the woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then lastly, Matthew 9, 27 through 31, Jesus heals two blind men, why? Because they trust in his ability to heal. They ask him the question, uh, Jesus asks them the question, do you believe that I am able? I love how Matthew bookends Matthew 8 and 9. Starts off with Jesus is willing, ends off with Jesus is able. Friends, very important. Someone can be willing to do something, but not able. Someone can be able to do something, but not willing. The Bible teaches Jesus is willing and able. Willing and able. I want to pause for a moment. I wasn't planning to do this, but I want to pause for a moment. And I'm going to, I want to pray for the sick right now. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and we can pray some more at the end. But I, I just feel, I just feel his faith on that word. Jesus is willing and able. So if you're sick right now, we're not going to you know, interrupt necessarily the sermon by calling you forward, but I want to trust right now, there is faith here for healing. And so Lord, we ask in Jesus' name for you to move in power upon your people and to heal those who are sick, those who are injured, those who are struggling in any way, physically emotionally, mentally. Thank you, Jesus, that you are willing and able. And we partner with that truth. We align ourselves with that truth. And therefore, Lord, we ask for a release of your power to heal in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's why Paul writes, uh, that's why, sorry, that, that's why Matthew writes in verse 35, the summary statement of, of, of chapters 8 and 9. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So if verse 35 is a summary statement of chapters 8 and 9, then verse 36 provides us the context. Friends, the It's so important that that we understand this. The kingdom of God has got to find a context. The kingdom of God has got to find a people, a time, and a place in which to move. Otherwise, the kingdom of God is just theory. Where God has established you, where God has planted you in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your school, in your social circles, in your sports team, whatever, wherever God has placed you, that's the context 
that God wants his kingdom to extend in you and through you. And that's what, Jesus, that's what Matthew is getting at at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, friends, the context in this case was crowds of people. The context in this case was people who were helpless and harassed. And that caused Jesus to have compassion for them. His heart broke for them. Why? He has the key. Third word in verse 6. When he saw the crowds. When he saw the crowds. Now don't think, please don't think. If you do a word study on that word saw... Don't think Matthew is referring to the biology or the anatomy of seeing, the kind of physical thing that happens when you see. No, what he's getting at is something far more profound. It's a prophetic insight. It's, a, it's to see with the mind's eye. It's the same word in the original Greek that, that, that Luke uses when, when, it, when he describes the moment, Jesus, having spent a night in prayer, comes down from the mountainside, having spent time with the Father, and he sees, same word, Peter and, and Andrew fishing. And he says, come, follow me. Friends, to see with prophetic insight means to, to see God's intent, to see God's heart, to see how God is working. That's what releases compassion. When you, when you perceive that someone is not living in the fullness of God's plan for, the, for, for them, and your heart goes out to them. That's what, that's what Matthew is getting at. He, he saw with, with, with compassion. He saw with, 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 with carrying something of God's heart. Can I say that, that, that seeing prophetically, now this is going to sound strange, but follow my, follow my reasoning. Seeing prophetically also involves listening. Seeing prophetically also involves listening. Listening to the Father's voice. Jesus models this so beautifully. Not just in this text, but throughout the Gospels. Seeing prophetically involves listening to what the Father is saying but also listening to what other people are saying, giving you clues to how God is already at work. You know, God challenged me once when I, when I met my neighbor for the first time after we moved into our house. And I was all gung-ho again, like I was when I went for that Lincoln Park walk one morning. I was all gung-ho to share the gospel. And I felt God just arrest me for a moment and say this, don't think that through you is the first time I'm working in this person's life. I've already been working in their heart. And I felt what God challenged me with was to take the time to figure out how God is already at working, to listen, to look with prophetic insight, to, to find clues to where God is already at work in that person. Jesus models that in Matthew chapter 8, the, the, the text we looked at with the faith, the faith of the centurion. The centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my servant is ill. Most of us would immediately drop everything and run to go and pray for the servant. Nothing wrong in that, but I love Jesus' response. He asks him a question. Do you want me to heal him? He's looking for clues of faith. Do you want me to heal him? And the centurion says, Jesus, you're a man under authority. I know all you have to say is the word. All you have to say is is release healing, and I know that he will be healed. And Jesus says, ah, there's the clue that I'm looking for. God's already at work in this man's heart. It's done. 
Go back home. You'll find your servant healed. Seeing prophetically is seeing with eyes of prophetic insight and listening to how God is already working in people's hearts. If we look at the epistles, which is what I did this week, there are only two incidences where we are explicitly instructed to share the gospel. And interestingly, both times, it's connected to answering questions. 1 Peter chapter 3 essentially says this, Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason that you have. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Why? Why do you think that both Peter and Paul insist that the way we share the gospel is in the context of people asking us questions? And I would suggest, there's probably many reasons, but I would suggest a reason is because sharing the love of Jesus is only powerful when God is already at work. Sharing the love of Jesus is only effective and powerful when we figure out how and where God is already at work. And when people are asking questions, God is already stirring their hearts. And so this is the point I want to make. All that we've learned in Matthew 8 and 9 about the signs and wonders and the supernatural, we'll teach about that in the summer. But here's the key. The supernatural signs, wonders, miracles, words of knowledge, gifts of the Spirit provide a platform for people to see how God is already at work. And so when we share the gospel, all we're doing is we're partnering with where God is already at work. So often I think, and perhaps this is you too, so often I think we, 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 we approach sharing the gospel like climbing a mountain. We're carrying this massive load of, of weight and expectation and responsibility and obligation and fears and failures and doubts and lack of fruits. This weight is on our shoulders. I'm going to share the gospel today. I'm going to make sure I share the gospel today. And then eventually we, we, we encounter somebody that needs to hear the gospel and, and we're feeling so burdened by this responsibility that if we don't share the gospel, they, what on earth is going to happen to them? And, and so we stand there and we, we fumble out words and, and we don't see any fruit. And so we rush down the other side of the mountain and we say, I can't do that for another six months. It's too exhausting. Sharing the gospel needs to be in a way where we're actively looking for where God is already at work in our daily lives. When I took my driver's license back in South Africa, they had just introduced what they called the three-point check. What the three-point check was, you had to check this mirror, uh, driving in America, this mirror, this mirror, and you had to physically turn to look in your blind spot. So when you were taking your driver's test, Every 10 seconds, you physically had to do this. To make sure that the instructor saw that you were checking your mirrors, blind spots. Forget the fact that you're veering off the road while you're doing that. But just imagine that. The point is this. That, that, that way of driving was so ingrained in me that now, while I'm driving in the States, you know, years, 25 years later, every now and then, every 15 seconds, I just do this. I just check. 
But here's the point. That's what sharing the gospel is like. We're keeping our eyes and ears open, looking continually for where God is at work. Are you there, Lord? There? Or there? No. There? There. There. Lord, I sense you're at work here. What is it that you want me to do? That's how we share the gospel. We're actively seeing. We're actively participating, positioning ourselves to work with, not for, but with what the Father is already doing. Not only are we actively seeing, but, and here's the the next point, look at verse 37 and 38. We also need to ask. We also need to ask. Verse 37, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And, And friends, if you're anything like me, so often... We can read this verse and we're like, okay, my responsibility is to pray that the Lord would send other people. That's how I used to read that. Pray, Lord. You said, ask that others would be sent out into the harvest field. I want to say, no. We pray that. But you can't pray that until you said, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord. Like Isaiah did. Isaiah, Isaiah 6, gets this incredible revelation of God. And in the presence of God's, God's magnificence and glory, he can do nothing else but say, Oh, Lord, here I am. I'm asking that you send me. The same thing happened to Moses, Exodus 3. Revelation of God. Lord, send me. Paul, on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. Revelation of Jesus. Here I am, send me. Friends, we gather on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You gather in your homes and your connect groups over coffee, and God is present. And it's from this place we should be worshiping God and saying, God, you are glorious. I see your magnificence. Lord, I ask that you would send me. Send me how? Send me with your presence. God promises whenever he sends us, he will always Be with us. Exodus 33. My presence. This is the will of God. This is the way of God. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. You might be, you you, like me, might have made mistakes of of being overzealous at times. And you're struggling with the scars of that. Or maybe like me, at times you're afraid of others. And what people might think. Or maybe you're, you're not seeing the fruit of sharing the gospel with others. But you know what? When God says, my presence will go with you, Jesus is living right here by the Spirit of God. And you know what? He's amazing at preaching the gospel and seeing the sick healed. Jesus is amazing at doing the things that Colossians 4 says. He knows how to be wise towards outsiders. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to spend time with you. He knows how to make the most of every opportunity. Like in John 3, when he's going to get water at the well, and he meets that woman, and he says, and he he begins to say, you're thirsty. Let me tell you where to get real water. He knows how to season his conversation with grace as if it's seasoned with salt. Like he did with that woman in John 8 who was caught in adultery. Does anyone else condemn you? Neither do I. 
Go and sin no more. So here's the point of all that I've said today. Here's the truth, the single thing that I want us all to grab hold of today. Before we tell others about Jesus, before we tell others about Jesus, we need to see, we need to ask. Before we rush off and and carry that obligation to go and tell others about Jesus, take the time to see and take the time to ask. Be ready, yes, be ready to tell others. Again, Courtney shared that, that, that verse out of, uh, it was probably out of Mark or Luke, but, but the, 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 corresponding story, the corresponding story is found in Matthew 8. We, look, we actually mentioned it. The demoniac getting, getting, getting released of demons. And, and he goes to Jesus in, in Mark's version and he says, let me come with you. And Jesus says this, no, go home to your own people. Go to your, go to your work tomorrow. Go to your school tomorrow. Go to your, to your uh, a school community as you drop off your kids. Climb on the bus like you do every single day of the week. Go, go and, and be ready to tell them, tell others how much the Lord has done for you and how he, has had, how he has mercy on you. Friends, there is power in every single testimony in this room. Don't dismiss your testimony. Go and be ready to tell others. But before you tell others, before you do that, Take the time to see. Ask the Lord to open the eyes of your heart, to open your ears so that you can see and and, and find clues as to where God is already at work. Take the time to see and take the time to ask, Lord, send me. Send me with your presence. Can I encourage you to do this tomorrow? Can Can I seriously ask you, to try this tomorrow. Try this for one week. Can I, can I ask, can, can we try that for one week as a church? Every morning, whenever you spend time with the Lord, to say, Lord, I want to tell others, but first, help me to see. And Lord, I ask that you send me with your presence. I want to just come back quickly to those who might be in this room this morning who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I've read two verses, one from First Peter, one from Colossians, about the importance of asking questions. And so my encouragement to you today, if you don't know Jesus and you've sat through, thank you for sitting through the last 30 or 35 minutes. If you have questions, I would love to make myself available to you. So I'm going to be waiting to my left, to your right. If you have any questions about what it means to, to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would love to chat with you afterwards. I'm going to be off to my left, to your right, after the meeting. To the rest of us, to those of us who do know Jesus, my question to you is this, as we close. Do you have beautiful feet? Do you have beautiful feet? My eldest daughter hates feet. She does not like feet. The way I terrorize her is I stick my big toe in her face. She absolutely hates it. My question to you, do you have beautiful feet? Because Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. My prayer this morning, I'm going to pray this before I hand over to Mark, is for God to give us, don't laugh, but for God to give us a spiritual pedicure this morning. For God, I'm going to ask God to give us a spiritual pedicure. 
that we would walk out of here with beautiful feet, ready to preach the gospel, to share with others, because we've taken the time to see and we've taken the time to ask. So will you just open your hearts? Father, thank you for your word. We ask this morning, Lord, would you give us beautiful feet? Would you, would you get into our toes and our heels? And would you just smooth away, Lord, the, 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 the rough outer skin, the cracks, the, the grime and the dirt that we just gather week on week and never deal with? Lord, would you come in supernaturally this, this morning and just in an instant, Lord, just soften our feet. Let them soak in your presence, Lord, even as we pray right now. Just softening all that hardness, that callousness. Lord, let our, let our toenails glisten, Lord, as we just respond to what you're saying and doing, even now. We want to have beautiful feet, Jesus. We want to have big, beautiful feet that walk over our city, that walk across our city, sharing and preaching the good news. Not out of obligation, not carrying a burden of responsibility and expectation, but partnering with you, looking and seeing and listening how you are already at work. Thank you that you, that you give us this privilege to do this with you. Oh, Lord, come and work in our hearts today. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.